So Jesus gives uh, this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's a sermon that he does on a mountain, and it's a long discourse in the first one uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And he finishes his sermon, and then um, gets real all of a sudden, uh, as if he wasn't already. But he finishes his sermon and starts laying down these four warnings. The warnings are um, that there's two paths you can take in life, that there are two kinds of prophets, that there are two kinds of disciples and there are two different foundations that you can build your life on or two different types of foundations that you can build your life on. And Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount talking about what it means or what it is to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus following his life and following his teachings. And so when he gets to the end of this and he lays down these four warnings, uh, today we're going to talk about the second of these four warnings, uh, all of a sudden it gets very fire and brimstone and uh, very um, classical, like the veins started popping out of Jesus' neck uh, at this point uh, if, if Jesus ever got angry, which he did. Uh, he had a, yeah, so we'll get to that. Um, he's a dude who threw tables and made a whip and hit people in church. So uh, we have a security team for people like Jesus. <laughs> but uh, but uh, there is this, uh, he gets really, really aggressive at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to talk about it today. Uh, and it's going to be really, really aggressive. And so I kind of give this, it's not a disclaimer, but I want you to know uh, that we believe that God loves people. And his primary disposition is a God of love. And so you may have different images of God that we just go to naturally. Some of us, when we think of God, we think of this angry old man, right, who sits on his porch and yells at you when you do bad things walking by his house. And some of us think God is kind of like Santa, you know, a guy with a beard, and you talk to him once a year when you want things, right? Uh, and he's kind of real, but maybe not, but you're going to keep saying he's real so your parents keep giving you things. Um, and then my son found the box from his present from Santa this year, so we had that talk. Because um, uh, apparently you're supposed to throw the box out right away, not just throw it in the closet. So, um, <laughs> who knew this stuff? So, uh, so anyways, <laughs> there is, uh, you know, we have this these weird concepts of God uh, and these that are kind of not really taught to us, but we just kind of catch them most of the time from our family or our surroundings or from the, you know, just the media we ingest and things like that. But God is primarily a God who loves us and loves his creation, primarily his, the people that are made in his image. All people, it doesn't matter what religion you are or what creed you are, human beings are made in the image of God. And so when God looks at human beings, he sees a little bit of himself and that causes him to love them, all right, and love us uh, with a deep love to the point where uh, Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross for us. And the Bible teaches that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we don't earn God's love. We don't do nice things and then God loves us. The primary disposition and the beginning of the relationship between God and humans is God's love for us. Everything that we do towards God is in response to God's first love for us. Now, that's also matched with God's holiness. And this buddy Jesus, this God who's our friend, uh, is, is nice. And then we get this holiness God uh, that's kind of scary. Because if you want to think about what holiness means, it's in, in when we talk about God is holy, it's kind of like God is like radically pure. 
Like radically pure. Like if, if, if purity was like white, God is like a, a shimmering white. Alright? Like it's not, uh, it's not, there's no blemish there. There's nothing wrong or nothing even mildly discolored or mildly, uh, like it, the brightness of the light is overwhelming if we were to talk about God's purity and God's holiness. And so that holiness and that love seem to be in tension with each other but because it is God it works and God can be entirely loving and entirely just entirely caring for creation, caring for human beings and entirely holy in his relationship to them and so there's, it may sound like we're talking about two different gods, some people think there was this Old Testament God that was angry and killed a lot of people and then there's this New Testament God, Jesus, who carried lambs around and hugged babies and, and uh, uh, it's the same God and God can hold on to these two things that are competing because he is perfect and because he is God so let's talk about these things if there's three things in the world that I hate, sharks, USC, false prophets, alright, uh, that's what I hate, uh, alright uh, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I can get along with anything else, but if you put me in a situation with one of those, um, veins start popping, you know, I start getting angry, I, I sweat, uh, and, and this is just who I am, alright? Uh, here's what a, a false prophet is, alright? Well, let me back all the way up. Here's what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who uses the sentence, uh, thus saith the Lord, alright? Or here's what God says. Alright? So a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. Now when we think of prophecy, we think of someone who tells the future. Right? That's foretelling. Alright? That's like, here's what's going to happen. And that's, is a prophetic gift. But that's part, that's only like half of what a prophet does. There's also something called foretelling. And when you look in the Old Testament, there's these prophets. Uh, if you just open your Bible to the middle, you might hit Isaiah. Alright? Isaiah is a huge book and it's a very long-winded prophet. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the major prophets. There's ten minor prophets in there uh, with names that you can't pronounce. And, uh, and they're just, these prophets would speak. And a majority of the time they would bring, not before telling the future, uh, but that's, there's kind of, that's two parts in it. If you want a catchy way, there's foretelling and forthtelling where they're bringing forth the Word of God. Alright, so a lot of the prophets weren't saying things like predicting what's going to happen, but they were saying, here's what God's Word is and how it applies to this situation that you're in. Here's who God is, and here's why that's relevant to the way that you're living your life. Today's culture, we would separate those two things into people that are prophets and tell the future, alright, and then we would call the second part preachers. Right? Do you catch that? And so when we're talking about what false prophets are, or, or true prophets are, a false prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God, either predicting the future, or uh, bringing forth the word of God in a relevant way, like God's word to this particular situation. False prophets are doing that in, in a way that's a lie. False prophets are taking things and maybe twisting them, or maybe just taking things that are blatant, outright untruths, and saying, here's what God says. It drives me crazy. And because these false prophets uh, are like con men or crooks. All right? and, the, and the most dangerous ones, I think, aren't the ones that are on TV. They're the ones that are preying on innocent people in some small town. They're saying, here's what God says, and God does not 
say that at all. I had a friend that went into a church, and, and I'm going to get judgmental, but we'll talk about that soon another day. Uh, um, I had a friend that became, he was a pastor at a small country church, close friend, and a uh, small, small country church, and uh, a young, young person came up to him and said, hey, uh, do you listen to evil beat music? And he went, uh, excuse me? Evil beat music, you know, music with evil beats. And he said, what? And the previous pastor had taught the people that there are certain beats that are wrong and immoral. How awesome is that, right? This is something that's not in the Bible. <laughs> All right? Like the Bible does not think that rap music is evil. All right? Uh, because of the beat. Uh, it would be evil for objectifying women, all right? But, uh, but there are, there's no such thing as a beat or a music that's evil. And there's all sorts of things that are like this. You can hear all sorts of examples of cultural things. I went to a really conservative Bible college where you couldn't wear screen print on your shirts. So if I had a shirt that said, like, Jesus loves you, I would get what's called gratis. Uh, but I was a married student, so I never got in trouble. But, um, but you would get in trouble, and you'd have to pay $5 or work or something like that. Uh, these kinds of, you know, I'm a good kid, so I don't get in trouble, right? Uh, and so there's this kind of, uh, this weird things that we add. Like, here's what the Bible says, and now look, I'm going to add this stuff over here. This is where false prophets live, over here. Alright? This is what false prophecy is. Saying, here's what the Bible says, and then saying something that the Bible doesn't say. Alright? This is, in, is actually really tempting. Because there's things over here that make us feel good and make us feel comfortable. Sometimes false prophets go the way of like rules and regulations or laws. Here's all the rules we're going to follow. And when we have rules, there's a certain amount of comfort. Right? You feel comfortable driving down the road because there's a rule that that piece of paint you stay on that side I stay on this side and your life is protected by an orange paint right that's not big enough to stop a car but there's a rule and so you feel comfortable as you drive down the road other false prophets will uh, not go over there for legalism they go over there for like lawlessness and we like that because then we can just follow God and do whatever we want and so then we, we have this false sense of this kind of security. So this is, false prophets aren't just one brand. I'm not going to start naming them. <laughs> um, that would be fun. Um, but we're not going to do that today. Uh, we're going to more talk about what that is and what Jesus talked about when he was talking uh, about this issue. It's an issue that's relevant today and it was an issue that was relevant even when Jesus was speaking. Uh, so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 um, when Jesus was originally speaking uh, this, this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Uh, if you want to open your app or we'll put it on the screen here too so it's easy for you to see. Um, Jesus is talking primarily to his disciples, which is a smaller group, but there's this larger crowd that's listening to, so that's why he's in this kind of natural acoustic amphitheater when he's speaking so that many people can hear him. And uh, this is the second uh, of the warnings. The first one, uh, two weeks ago we talked about, uh, is that there's a narrow way and a wide way, and you want to be on the narrow way, the lonelier way. And this is verse uh, 15 to 20. Jesus says, beware of the false prophet, I'm sorry, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Uh, those are rhetorical no's. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So, Jesus starts talking to the people. And when God refers to his people, he often uses this metaphor of sheep. Alright? They're like a flock. Jesus is the shepherd, and this flock is the sheep. So if someone else comes in and says they're the shepherd, that's kind of a dangerous situation. That's a warning sign when they say, hey, I know Jesus said that, but I'm the new Jesus. Right? Warning sign. Okay? Uh, Jesus says, and he refers to this people as a flock, and he says the first thing that, the first thing that we want to talk about when we're talking about false prophets is that they're like wearing sheep's clothing, but they're actually ravenous wolves. Now, I know we like wolves here in Oregon, right? We want them to live out in eastern Oregon where they don't bother us. But, um, but, but they're, we're going to protect them, and they're an animal, so we're going to hug them and those kinds of things. Uh, if you want to do that, you've never met a wolf. Uh, but, um, but there is this kind of... Wolves were hated by a people who were an agricultural people. These people had flocks of sheep. And so this metaphor made sense to them. And a wolf was something that came in and destroyed their, the, their asset. It destroyed their livelihood. And this is how Jesus describes these false prophets. A wolf who comes in in sheep's clothing. A wolf who comes in looking like he belongs or she belongs. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves who want to destroy others who are a part of the flock. Part of the church or part of the congregation. These are people who are described in an incredibly negative way. I mean, this is Jesus who's supposed to be loving and he says some of the people not out there, some of the people in here look like they belong but inwardly their heart is hell-bent on destruction of the people around them. So look to your right and look to your left. <laughs> a little bit intense, huh? We won't look in a mirror because it's certainly not you, I know. <laughs> this is a hard teaching that Jesus would just throw out there. Because we know, Jesus, we should be scared of those people out there. The people who are out there. There's a war on whatever issue we have. <laughs> There's a culture war and a war on Christmas and a war on Thanksgiving and a war on mobile churches that meet in middle schools. But, uh, but so we're scared of those people out there and Jesus doesn't say, look out for those people out there. He says, look out for the people who are in here who look like they're here to be a part of the flock but they're actually here to destroy and kill and, and satisfy themselves. They, are, they have a large appetite for this destruction. And Jesus says, the way that you will actually spot them is not just by looking up and down your row. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. So there's a metaphor change here, alright? Because you don't recognize wolves by fruit. You recognize trees 
by fruit. And so Jesus switches metaphors. He says, you recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Which these people would, grapes and figs were staples of their diet when the people that Jesus was talking to. Alright? And so when you, t- and, and the thistles and the thorn bushes were good for nothing. They were like annoying weeds that hurt you. When, if you touch them, they would be pokey and stuff. When Jesus is referring to this, he knows there's a rhetorical... Y'all are laughing because I said pokey. That, that is weird, isn't it? Um, so there's this, there's this a rhetorical understanding that you don't get good things out of bad plants. And you, get, you don't get bad things, bad fruits, out of good plants. So there's a rhetorical no. Everybody knows this. Every healthy tree bears good fruits. But the diseased tree bears bad fruits. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear... A diseased tree, sorry, can't bear good fruit. And so there's this production that happens. So first we recognize false prophets by their being bent on destruction in the church. Not outside the church, but in the church. Then we recognize them by their fruits. Is this a good tree or a bad tree? And we will know it's a good tree or a bad tree by the fruit that it produces. Because if you have a good tree, you'll get good fruit. If you have a bad tree, you'll get bad fruit. Uh, We know this. If you have an apple tree in your yard and you get good apples, you would say, that's a good tree. If you have an apple tree in your yard and you don't get good apples, that's a junk tree. It's just annoying. Uh, This is obvious stuff. The problem is that it's hard to find this stuff out. Like you don't, uh, say you found a tree somewhere, you met this tree and you started interacting with it, it would take an entire season for you to learn whether it was good fruit or bad fruit. You get that? In the springtime, if you moved into a new house that had an apple tree in the back, you don't know if that's a good tree or a bad tree. And so you're going to take care of it, you're going to water it and do the tree things that trees need. I'm a farmer, can you tell? <laughs> and... Uh, but then when the season comes around the fruit will come out good or bad it doesn't matter your effort it doesn't matter your care like you can be really really nice to a diseased tree you're going to get bad fruit and you can be kind of neglectful to a good tree and it will still produce decent fruit but it takes a long time to recognize this this is why when people come into the church it's kind of funny because you can't tell right away all the time <laughs> sometimes you can <laughs> you can they come in and after their first Sunday they want to meet with the pastor because they have some suggestions on how things should go <laughs> those are always enjoyable meetings right? Like, thank you all 300 of us were waiting for you because we knew we were screwed up <laughs> you are our savior <laughs> like, Thank you. Oh, you're not coming back next week. Oh, you do this church to church to church. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's like a free consultant to tell us how screwed up we are. Um, so, it's usually a shorter conversation. Um, but, you know, so sometimes, if it's a wolf wearing sheep's clothing, like if you're a shepherd and a wolf rolls in wearing sheep's clothing, you can pick that out pretty quick. Right? Like you're not going, there's something different. 
Like that sheep wasn't here yesterday, but now they're here, and there's something different there. Like they keep eating the other sheep. You know, is that normal? <laughs> right? Alright, so sometimes you can recognize it right away. But other times, Jesus says, you're going to have to sit there and wait. And see what's produced. And, when you see what's produced, it's not a matter of how great the tree looks. Or how many, like, fruit-bearing branches the tree has. It's a matter of the fruit that the tree actually produces. When we consider... Um, like when we consider the things that false prophets produce when we look at preachers in our culture we often look at gifts he's a good preacher because he's easy to listen to or he says interesting things or the things that he say helps me in my life alright or he's biblical which is just hilarious um I love it when people say, I love my preacher because he preaches the Bible. Well, the, the preacher in the other religion says the exact same dang thing, right? Uh, some, there's something going on there that it's not just he preaches the Bible. If he preached the Bible, he would just read the Bible to you and you would not stay for that. I know you. Um, so, but there is, uh, so when we talk about this, there is, it's not how skilled or how gifted or how nice it is to listen to the preacher, it is the fruit that is produced. So it is, and the fruit for a preacher is twofold. Uh, first, it's their own personal lives. What does the life of the preacher look like? Then it's the influence of that preacher's life and teaching. What is the influence, or what's like, what's the wake behind them? Are they leaving a trail of destruction? I know preachers that go into churches and just destroy them. And then in two years, they're moving to another church in order to destroy them. They say they're shaking things up and helping change. And the people are all like, oh, that hurt. Uh, they're not necessarily helping. <laughs> it's always fun when I, I have a friend who's a preacher. Well, I would say he's my friend. He would not say he's my friend. Uh, but he's the only person to ever walk out while I was preaching because of something I said. So it, it, that makes him my friend. Um, but he uh, will, will say often, he gets in trouble when he's a preacher, he's a pastor, and he gets in trouble in these churches and he says, if I'm getting in trouble, I know I'm doing something right. And I'm like, that's not necessarily a good test. Like, say that to the police, right? Uh, <laughs> At least I know you're here to talk to me because I'm doing something right. I'm making change. No, <laughs> you're hurting people, right? Uh, there's, it's not like an automatic litmus test. So there's a, there's a, there's a, the things, the, the way that he lives as a preacher, he or she, and then there's the things or the influence of their teaching, twofold. And so you can look at this, and this takes time, and it takes relationship. And it takes, like, objective judgment. This is the beginning of chapter 7, where Jesus says, don't judge others, but don't be naive either. Don't judge, but if they look dangerous, don't act like they're not. If they're a wolf in sheep's clothing, don't judge. But if you're right, you're right. It's not a judgment call if they're eating the sheep. It's not a judgment call if your tree is producing bad fruit, if your tree is producing bad fruit and you say, that's a bad tree, that's not judging. That's true. <laughs> if your tree is producing good fruit and you're like, that's a good tree, you're not being judgmental. 
you're being a good farmer, right? Or a good tree owner. So when you have preachers and you're trying to test, is this preacher trustworthy? Is what they say true? You look at their influence and you look at their own lives. This becomes a problem in our culture today. Uh, a major issue I have with people who will say, my pastor is this celebrity pastor who lives somewhere else. I watch him online. Or the problem with online church in general. Because there's something about church and face-to-face -face community that forces honesty. And if you're here for the first time, we don't have an honesty time later. Uh, that's part of integrating into a community. Some people will attend a church for 50 years of their life and never share the details of their life. I would say you're attending that church, not participating in that church. Does that make sense? Relationship is required in order to test the truth or the falseness of a particular preacher. So if you just watch this preacher online or you just attend this church online, you're never required to be honest about yourself. And your online persona, even if you're keeping it real, you're not, right? Like, I don't put up pictures on Facebook of me when I don't look good. Other people do, but you can untag those. I learned that. Uh, <laughs> you can... Uh, there's a little Facebook tip for you. That was just extra, all right? Some of you are on right now. Oh, right? Uh, there's bad reception in here, so uh, it'll take you a while. But anyway, the person that you put out there on the online medium, it's not the real you. I don't get on Facebook and share and say, I feel terrible. I just lost my temper in a situation where I shouldn't have. I feel awful. I'm a terrible person. I'm depressed. That's not a status update, right? Some of you that is. You need to pray more, not Facebook pray, all right? Like, tell Jesus, not the whole world, all right? Um, so I have, okay, I should have four things, all right? <laughs> Sharks, USC, false prophets, Facebook. Um, just things that make me angry. Not Facebook in itself, some of you on Facebook, all right? That should be... I've thought about just eliminating all my friends and then I'll have a Facebook that I'll agree with everything, right? <laughs> it's all pictures of my children, not your children, and my food, not your food, all right? Anyways. Um, yep, this is, okay, there's four now. Um, but when we're only interacting, if we have an online church or an online celebrity-driven kind of relationship with the preachers who have influence in our life, that can't be, a, and we say this is the primary person. We say, I don't go to church, I go to church online. That's impossible to do biblically. Because being a part of a church, there's some honesty and openness that happens there. I hope that you evaluate me as your preacher in the way that I interact with my family, in the way that I interact with the leadership of the church in the way that I interact with others, and the way that I conduct myself and my own spiritual journey. I hope you do that, because the Bible tells you to. This is why people shouldn't be preachers, too. Jesus says that. Because you're subjected to a harsher judgment than others, or any leader in the church. 
when we're talking about who the elders of this church are, we look at their lives. We look at their children. We look at their wife or their husband. Because the Bible tells us to do that. If you read Timothy and Titus, it says, it matters how you live. And so being in relationship, and I understand you might go to a huge, huge, huge church where you don't see the pastor, but those huge, huge, huge churches have other pastors, area pastors. If you're a teenager, you should 100% evaluate your youth leaders on the basis of how they treat each other. You should. The Bible tells you to. It doesn't say be judgmental towards them or think they're terrible people or good people, but it says trust the message of people with integrity. Trust the message of trees who produce good fruits. Not just in the words that they say, but in the life that they lead. So this is, this is my big problem with online church. That's kind of a rant, but that's a big problem. It can't do what the Bible calls the church to do. So, you have trees with good fruit, trees with bad fruit. Some false prophets are obvious right away. And let me say this. Because we're a young church, we're three years and a month and a half old, all right? Um, when we began, I met with another church planter here in town, um, Brad. He's a pastor of The Shift. He's a fantastic pastor. Uh, he, and, and, you know, we were planting, and he had just done this. So I'm like, hey, anything you can tell me. And he said, what you have to watch out for that surprised me is the number of people who have an agenda who come into your church, right? And, and it's been true here. People will see, oh, young church. I want a church that is this. And they'll come into young church and say, here, young church, this is what I want. Be this. And it's incredibly tempting. It is. Because we would like people to come to our church. Like that first Sunday. Because you all show up late all the time, it made me nervous. Right? <laughs> I'm like, it would be better if people came to our church. And then 10 after 10, everybody's here. Oh, thanks. Jerks. <laughs> it's like... Every week I'm nervous, but you know, just there's a little. If you're in here on time, it blesses me. All right, so if you want to be my friend, you know, on my birthday next year or something, show up on time. Um, but anyway, uh, I say that, and I walked in during the second song today because I couldn't find my children. But anyway, <laughs> I have found them now. But there is this when we. Uh, it's incredibly tempting for a young church who hasn't really we haven't really defined. Like we're in that process of building who the Grove is. And when we sat down with our leaders, uh, this is back when there were 100 people in the Grove, we said the most dangerous thing to the Grove is the next 100 people. Because the next 100 people define what the Grove becomes. Now there's like 300 and some people here every week. You know what's the most dangerous thing to the Grove? The next 100 people. Because as we grow, we change. We're a different church now than we were when there was 100 people meeting in this cafeteria. We are. And as we grow, we identify, here are those core things that make the Grove what it is. And some things are, are non-negotiables. Jesus, right? The love of God, alright? The missional impulse of our church and serving our city. But they express themselves, some of these things, like the, this missional impulse, expresses itself in, in different ways. Um, for example, when there was a hundred of us, we would say, uh, there's an opportunity we put on Facebook this week about uh, um, ringing the bell for the Salvation Army as, as Christmas comes. We would say, hey, there's only a hundred of us, there's 20 families, let's all go do this. 
we could all find a Saturday that we're open. Now we cannot find a Saturday that we're all open. And so we still want to participate in the good things that are happening in our community, but we have to do them in a different way. And so what's dangerous is if we allow the next hundred people to change core values that we have. And it's not that they're dangerous, it's that we're dangerous if we don't hold to the things that Jesus taught us or the, the convictions that God has put on us. Because we're determined to be a healthy tree because a healthy tree bears good fruit. And so we don't go out and say, let's make sure we're doing the fruit part. We look at this core and say, let's make sure this core is right and then the fruit will produce automatic. This is the same in your own spiritual life. Don't worry about what you look, about, look like out here. Worry about what's going on in your core. Are you following Jesus in repentance and in obedience? Then, all this other stuff just works. If you have a deep spiritual life with Jesus on an individual basis, then what, ends up, what people end up observing is a natural outflow of that. Here's how Jesus ends. And this is going to get good. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So not only is Jesus being harsh and calling some people wolves, and a wolf would be like if you were a shepherd and there's a sheep and a wolf came by, you'd be eating that wolf for lunch. Like a wolf would be killed. A wolf isn't shooed away or spoken to so they can become a good sheep. A wolf is shot. And that's how you solve a wolf problem. And then if you have a bad tree, a tree that can't bear good fruit, you don't love that tree more. You cut that dang thing down and you throw it in the fire. Now Jesus, this is a bit harsh. Because it's not the tree's fault that is diseased, right? And Jesus says, yes, now cut that thing down and throw it into the fire. And this is the people who are in the church. This isn't people out there. We're not supposed to go out of this community or out of this church, find someone, cut them down and throw them in the fire, right? Metaphorically, not real. We're not supposed to do that. Jesus is speaking about in here. In here, in the church, there's a discipline and a purity to the church that requires those who care for the church to care for it in a decisive way. For people like that, if you're like a high D driven person, this is good stuff. You're like, let's find some. Let's find some wolves and let's shoot them, right? Like, let's identify those people, right? And we'll achieve a task. It's important that we don't start becoming that. You can easily become a cult and become a false prophet <laughs> that way. And so it's important that you know that the primary position that God has is love. But he holds these prophets to an incredibly high standard with incredibly dire circumstances if you begin teaching this is what God says 
and you're leading people astray, and you're destroying others, Jesus says, your destination is similar to a wolf or firewood. That's the usefulness of a false prophet. This is the harsh teaching of Jesus when he ends this sermon. Jesus actually, and, and this is great, it's not that you were bearing bad fruit. It's that you weren't bearing good fruit. Some of us today, like you might be here today in your life, and well, let me back this up. If you're a follower of Jesus in this kind of a community setting, if you're a follower of Jesus for more than a week, then you carry responsibility for others, right? If you're a mom or a dad and you follow Jesus, then you have a spiritual leadership responsibility in your home. And so if I am a false prophet to my own children, if I am leading them astray, leading them away from God for my own benefit, then God's judgment on me is incredibly harsh. God's judgment on you as a mom or a dad is incredibly harsh. If you're a student or if you're single and you have relationships with other people, you carry a spiritual responsibility to present the gospel to these people. And not necessarily like you have to go and tell them all the time because we judge not just by what the words you say but how you live. And this doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. This means obedience and repentance. Being repentant in front of people is an incredible witness. Apologizing to people because you're not perfect builds friendships. When you admit, and, and it's not easy, I've been in these conversations where I was the one wrong and I'm sitting there apologizing to people. It's not easy, but it builds that relationship and it builds your credibility because people appreciate it when you admit you're not perfect. Just like you appreciate it when, when someone else admits that to you. And so we carry this responsibility kind of as mini prophets or mini foretellers of the Word of God in various areas of our life. And some of us might be the kind of trees who are just saying, I'm going to make sure I don't produce bad fruit. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm a Christian. Because if they find out, they might be disappointed. I'm not going to put a fish sticker on my car because I'm a terrible driver. And I don't want others to think bad of Jesus. You should put a fish sticker and then a I'm sorry sticker, right? Uh, or you would... Uh, that would be good. Um, if you do nothing, it's just as bad as do, producing bad fruit. Jesus says, the trees that don't produce good fruit. Do you see this? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is metaphorical talk, but when Jesus uses the word fire in his metaphors and burning stuff, it's a direct reference to hell. That is incredibly harsh. If Jesus says you can have people who look like they're part of this church thing, who look like they're part of this people of God and they're not producing good fruit, you can look at their lives and see. He says those are people who aren't spending eternity with Jesus. 
I've heard preachers all the time warn of those people out there thinking that uh, I listened to a guy one time uh, like an hour and a half tell us to watch out for the Muslims it was shocking <laughs> I was like I'm, I, I don't even know I'm a, a Muslim person I, I live in Albany right? Like we, don't, we don't even have like a mosque I can go down to and meet someone uh, this, and, and apparently they were taking over something or whatever I was like I don't even get it because when Jesus talks he doesn't say watch out for those people out there watch out for that threat watch out for that war on whatever issue is a hot issue for you Jesus says watch out for the people who are in the church because it, the church will not be destroyed by an outside influence Jesus says this to Peter the gates of hell will not prevail outside will not hurt the church inside will and so on a personal level each one of us each one of you and I are responsible for the care and the purity of the church you're not just responsible for yourself we are all as a group responsible for each other it's a weird thing to think about that your own obedience and repentance affects the church when if and this would be especially true for someone who would be a leader in a church if there is hardness of heart, unrepentance, disobedience, it's not just affecting that person. It's not just affecting you. It's affecting the church as a whole. And it's affecting a person's eternal destiny. I would say the most dangerous place for you to be if you don't follow Jesus is in a church. Because you might convince yourself that you're just fine. You might convince yourself that I look like a sheep or I look like a tree and as long as I don't hang around with people too personally they'll all think I'm a good tree. It's a dangerous thing to seek the approval of the people who are sitting in the pew next to you or in front of you or behind you at the cost of seeking righteousness with God. The weird thing is seeking the approval and the good recognition from the people all around you is a lot of work. And having right relationship with Jesus is already taken care of. The work that it takes for you to have a right relationship with God was done by Jesus when he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he rose again. That's what it takes for you to have a right relationship with God. Jesus' work. For you to have this kind of weird right relationship with all the people around you, it takes a lot of work. Because you have to build this story or build this image that other people see so that you can hide the disease that you actually are carrying. So you can hide the fruit that you are producing. When if we get our relationship with God right by accepting and receiving the free gift of God of salvation of God of, who already did what it took it's just a matter of us living 
and saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord, which means like the ruler, like I put my full trust in what you teach in the Bible, and that's how I'm going to live. Not how I think, but how you think. Then all of a sudden, your fruit that's produced will be perfect. Will be exactly what God's hoping for. Because you've got that core right. Instead of painting bad fruit so it looks good to everyone around you, you fix the core, and the fruit become wonderful, beautiful expressions of God's work in your life. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to actually worship God. And it might be a good day for us to do some soul-seeking and some repentance. It might be the kind of thing where sometimes I pray and I actually say, you know, God, if you could just, if God, you yourself could examine me, and I'll pray and say, God, like, is there, is there things, are there blind spots in my life? Like, maybe there's sin or judgmental attitudes that I have that I don't even recognize in myself. Like, I don't trust myself enough to judge myself. And so I actually pray and ask God to reveal those things to me. To show me where in my life I'm actually hurting the relationship that I have with God. And which leads me to repentance and a renewed obedience This is key to what it is to be a healthy tree, to follow God in this way. It's easy to take this scripture and say, push it on some prophets, push it on some preacher that's on TV. But when Jesus is speaking to us, he's speaking to our hearts, our own individual lives. It's much more difficult to take the scripture and apply it to ourselves than it is to apply it to others. So we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing. And if you want to have an extended time of prayer and repentance in your own heart, that's fine. We're going to call people to stand, but if you want to sit and pray, that's totally kosher. It's not important for you to do what everyone else is doing, as it is important for you to have a right relationship with God. That is all that matters. Let's pray together. In this room, God, we confess sin to you. We confess that we try to do things on our own. We confess that there are times that we destroy the unity of the church for our own gain or our own benefit. The very thing that you prayed for the night before you were crucified, the unity of the church, the reason it's destroyed is because of us. Which is the reason that your sacrifice was required. Because of our sin. God, in this room, we pray that you would reveal to us. And I don't say this in a cavalier way, but in a really honest way. Reveal to us our sin. For some of us, it might be really obvious. And we can say, yep, God, I have blown it here, 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 here. For some of us, it might be more dangerous because it's hidden. Or we hide it from ourselves in a better way. God, I pray that you would reveal our sin to us in a devastating way. That you would cause us personal humility in light of your holiness. And then that we would be overwhelmed by your grace because it is because of our sin and the devastation of our sin that you died on the cross. 
And then your forgiveness would overwhelm us, the grace and mercy that you pour onto our lives. That you would pour that on in a way that overwhelms any feelings of guilt, any feelings of shame, any feelings that of inadequacy, and just show us that we would carry the righteousness of God, the adequacy of God, the holiness of God in ourselves. God, may you work in our lives, not just in our church as a large community, which we pray all the time, but may you work in our lives. Because if we can follow Jesus in obedience and repentance, our church will produce fruit that is natural for a healthy church. By your grace we pray. Amen.